tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you would bless your word tonight, Lord. Anoint it and give it life. Touch your, your people. Encourage them. Uh, and we pray for those that are watching online from their homes or wherever they may be, Lord, that you would bless and encourage them. Help us in these last few minutes that we have together to focus our attention on you. Lord God, we pray that you will help us to limit our distractions, our cell phones, our televisions, or even our own family members, Lord God. Help us to just focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Tonight I'm going to be trying to focus on two words, if we can get to both words. I'm not really sure, depending on time. But we're going to try to focus on two words that are found in this particular verse of Scripture. The first word is the word foolish. It says, you foolish Galatians. And then the second word that we want to try to get to is the word bewitched. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay? But before we go to this verse and begin to break it down, I think it's important again that we review what we went over in Galatians chapter 2. Remember, we began this book in the very beginning of the book of Galatians, and uh, we pointed out where these churches were located. It was a group of churches located in a large geographical area in the nation that we call Turkey today. It was part of the Roman Empire, and we went through all that. And in chapter 2, uh, there were two scriptures or two verses that we really focused our attention on. And that was Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. The second scripture that we focused on is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. We sang about that tonight during our worship time. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Again, it is no longer about you or me individually. Before we knew Christ, it was all about you, and it was all about me. It was all about us, and forget about God. But now that we are in Christ, it's no longer about us. It's all about God. Can you say amen, church? So it says here, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me say that again. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, if there's anything that I want you to get out of this day, it's that God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much. So we learned that salvation is a gift and it is not based or dependent on our works. Salvation is motivated 
by God's love for us. Everything that God does, everything that he did, everything that he will do is motivated by God's love for us. We did nothing except to say yes to God. How many of you thank God for that day that you said yes to Jesus? Amen. I mean, who knows how long we were pushing him away, pushing him away, rejecting him, telling him to get out of our... But thank God for that day when we said yes to Jesus. Finally, we broke down. We humbled ourselves. We repented of our sins. We realized that we were sinners on our way to hell. And the only way to salvation was through Jesus. And we said yes to Jesus. Praise God for that. Jesus did everything for us on the cross when he died, when he shed his blood. He defeated sin, death, hell, the grave. On that third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Right now, he is interceding. He is praying for all of us who belong to him. And guess what, church? He is coming again. Let me say that again. He is coming again. Why? All because he loves us. It's all motivated by love. His love for us. Not that we loved him, but he chose to love us us. Now, to further establish God's love for us, let's read what it says here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 17. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is John the Baptist. But John, or John the Baptist, tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. What is significant about that, what's important about that, is that before Jesus began his public ministry, before he did any of his good works, guess what? what? The Bible says that God the Father already loved him. God already loved him before he didn't do any works. That confirms the facts. Hey, listen, God doesn't love us because of our good works. No, he loves us in spite of how evil we are. He still loves us. Guess what, church? In the same way that Jesus was loved before he did any good works, Jesus loves us or loved us before we did any good works. And he actually loved us while we were yet sinners. While we were his enemies, he still loved us. And we learned last week that as a result of our salvation, as a result of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit who now abides in us, we have a desire to do good works for the glory of God. We do not do these to gain more salvation or to gain more righteousness or to gain more favor with God or to be loved more by God. All of these things are ours automatically in and through Jesus Christ. The works that we do now as Christians, we do them because we love God and we are grateful for how he has positively changed our life and all and for all that Christ did for us on the cross. Those of you that are here at church right now, you're here because you love God. 
Those of you that are watching online right now, you're watching online, you stopped what you were doing, you set your computer or your laptop or your phone or whatever you're listening on, you did it. Why? Because you love the Lord and you want to take this time to show your love for Him. We also learn that even though our works do not make us more saved or more righteous or more favored or more sanctified or more justified or more loved, the works that we do after our salvation are important. They are very valuable. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this, It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants... And the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Listen, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I'm going to do my best to show up on Saturday to meet up with the uh, life squad. Why? Because I want more rewards when I get to heaven. Praise the Lord. Of course, our motivation is to go out there and to preach and to teach and to minister and to hopefully get somebody saved. But at the same time, guess what? I'm going to get rewarded for that. God's going to bless me for that. Not maybe not here on the earth, but for sure when we get to heaven. Listen to what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. It says this, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has, been, has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, also talks about or makes reference to rewards that you and I will receive up in heaven. It says here, Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13, it says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Christians, those of you that are in church, those of you that are listening, listening, keep working hard for the Lord. Keep working hard for the Lord. You will be rewarded. There is, there is a reward at the end of the tunnel for you and I who stay faithful to the end. Now, we also learn that as Christians, we have been crucified with Christ. The reality is that every day all of us struggle with sin. And like I said last week, maybe, maybe you don't, but let me say this about me. Every day I struggle against sin. Every day we all struggle with temptation. Every day all of us struggle with desires and passions and emotions and behaviors that go beyond what is permissible, that go beyond what is, uh, our, uh, what is, uh, uh, proper limitations that are set by God. Listen, we all have desires and passions and they can be exercised within the parameters of the word of God. But there's a line that God says, you can't go past that line and you have to resist. You have to sacrifice. You have to crucify your flesh, put it to death so that you honor God with your body so that I honor God with my body, with my eyes, with my ears, with my mind, with my life. We have to honor the Lord with our bodies because our bodies now, our life 
life belongs to Jesus. Can you say amen, church? That's why the Bible says we have been crucified. It's an everyday situation, crying out to God to help us. And we learn that if we don't kill the sin, if we don't crucify and put to death those things that we know are not of God, then the sin will kill us. Listen, you're not a superhuman being. If you keep and I keep messing with sin, it will destroy us eventually. So don't be fooled. So now let's get to our text for tonight that's found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was cruelly, tr- clearly portrayed as crucified. Because the Galatians had allowed themselves to fall back to believing that salvation was by fulfilling the works of the law or that salvation was by good works or good deeds or salvation was based on acts of righteousness. Because they have fallen back to that, they rejected the gospel of grace and now they were accepting the gospel or I should say the deception of salvation by works. The Apostle Paul here, instead of he's, he's rebuking them. He says, instead of holding on to the truth, you're believing a lie and you're forgetting that our salvation is a gift from God. It is by the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul calls them foolish because they allow themselves to be deceived. There are many scriptures in the Bible that define for us who God considers to be foolish or fools and who God considers to be wise. Now remember, this is God calling certain people fools and this is God calling certain people wise. It's not Pastor Jerry calling you a fool. It's God calling you a fool, okay? And it's not God, it's not Jerry, Pastor Jerry calling you wise. It's God cause, telling you or, or, or calling you wise. So don't be writing me a bunch of nasty letters, okay? You can can complain to God. I'm just telling you what God says. Now listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, how God sees those who are wise and how God sees those who are foolish. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, the Bible says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. A little while ago, our brother Sergio said something very, very important. He said, God gives us peace in the storm. He doesn't give us peace away from the storm or to keep us or protect us from the storm. We've been studying the whole month of January how the Apostle Paul was in that storm and how God became his peace in the storm. And God says, while you're going through tough times, difficult times, hard times, painful times, if you keep your eyes on this, if you keep your focus on this, then God says, you are wise. Because you're hearing the Word of God and you're practicing or putting into practice the Word of God. Okay? 
That's what it says here. Let me read it again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You're standing on the rock. You're believing in the rock. Your hope is in the rock, and your hope is in Jesus Christ. But then listen to what it says here in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In other words, they hear what God's word says, but they say, ah, that's a bunch of nonsense. Ah, God's not really serious. Ah, God doesn't really mean what he means. No, God, it's okay. I can go ahead and get away with this and get away with that. And God understands. In other words, you're not putting it into practice. You're hearing it, but you're not doing it. Let me read it again, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So the Galatians went from building their house on the rock, which is Christ, to building their house on the sand, which is the works of the law. Listen to what it says here in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. Again, we're speaking about who God considers wise and who God considers foolish. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, it says this, And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! I'm not calling you a fool. God's calling you a fool. God says this, But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You come into church tonight. You that are online, listening online, you are putting or investing your treasure in heaven right now. This man chose to store up his treasure on earth, but Jesus teaches us that we need to store up our treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.20 But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I hope that you are busy working hard for God. Yes, we all have to go out there. We have to work our eight hours a day or overtime or whatever you do, and you have to make a living and you have to pay your bills. But for your sake, for my sake, I pray that we're also working hard for Jesus. The person who is rich in treasures of this earth but not rich toward God is foolish. The person who is busy storing up treasures in heaven through good works is wise. Listen to these two scriptures. In Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. Again, we're talking about who God sees as wise and who God sees as foolish. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. 
Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. God says the same thing in Psalm chapter 53, verse 1. Listen to what it says here. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. In other words, I don't have to give an account. I don't have to worry about what God thinks. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run my own life. I'm going to play by my own rules. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. So when you see the works of God, when you experience the works of God, when you are made aware of the evidence of God and yet turn away from it, the Bible tells us that you are considered foolish or a fool by God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What is God saying there? He's saying, look, I am going to make myself known to every single human being that has ever been born on this earth. I will reveal to them clearly so that they understand clearly that I am God. And I'm going to make it plain and clear to them by revealing to them that I created all of nature. I created the sun. I created the moon. I created the stars. I caused the planets to rotate around the sun. I, I caused the, the food to grow out of the ground. I caused the, the, the clouds to form and the rain to fall. I make the deserts become deserts and I make the forest become forests. I'm the one that makes the, the forest and the rivers and the oceans and the deserts. I'm the one that created the animals. I'm the one that created all the sea creatures and the birds of the air. In other words, God is saying, I will reveal myself as God to every human being and they're either going to choose to accept it or reject it the one that accepts it is wise the one that rejects it is foolish that's what god says listen to these couple of scriptures it says this in proverbs chapter 15 verse 2 the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge but the mouth of the fool gushes folly the mouth of the fool gushes now we're talking about what god considers a fool and who god considers wise it says the mouth of the fool gushes folly listen to what it says in, Gal- in proverbs chapter 15 verse 14 two more two verses down it says this or a few verses down proverbs 15 14 the discerning heart seeks knowledge in other words if we're wise we're going to get into this book Find answers to life in this book. Study this book. Find out what God says about anything that we go through in life. That's a wise person. But then it says this. Let me read it again. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Feeds on folly. So verse Proverbs 15.2 says that a fool gushes folly or puts out folly or speaks folly. And verse 14 says that a fool feeds on folly. In other words, they're receiving folly all the time. What is folly? Nonsense. Ridiculous nonsense. Things that don't make any sense. 
Okay? So what does God mean when he tells us that a fool gushes out folly and feeds only on folly? To put it more simply, a fool speaks nonsense and feeds on nonsense. Did you hear what I just said? A fool speaks nonsense and he feeds on nonsense. Let me show you a video that defines very briefly what Darwin's theory of evolution teaches. And this is what they're teaching in all of our public schools. So don't get offended that I'm showing you this here in church. But let's watch this video on what Darwin's theory of evolution teaches. Let's go ahead and watch this. If you remember one name in the history of modern biology, it should be two names. This because was the not first my biologists video. were a pair of freaky intellectuals. This was not my video. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> I don't even know. What is it? Let me see. Darwin and natural selection, crash course history. How long is this? Oh, it's 13 minutes. No, that's way too long. The one I had was two minutes. See if we could find it. I hope we can get it. Just give her a couple more seconds, and if we can't get it, let me, I'll just explain it to you really quickly, okay? But I wish we could actually show it to you, to show you what kind of nonsense and ridiculousness our kids are learning about the world that we live in. It's very sad. Okay, let's see if we can get it to work here. Okay, they said they found it. Let's see. Let's see if this guy looks familiar to me. I'm so excited to freeze all this. So far, that does not sound familiar to me. Okay, yeah, this is it. to stop it at 137 okay I do like the music though Listen to what this says here. It says, it can turn dinosaurs into birds. Do any of you see anything changing into anything else right now? Okay. It can turn dinosaurs into birds, amphibious mammals into whales, and ancestors of apes 
into humans. That's what evolution teaches. Go on to the next one. Just keep, keep it going. Stop it at 214, 214. Okay. Such changes are called mutations, which can be caused by random errors in DNA replication or repair. Go ahead, go on to the end, and then we'll go on. Okay, very good. I, want you to, I wanted you to see the whole thing so that you don't think that I manipulated it in any way. Very good. Okay, now, here's the thing, church. This is what God is saying. This is what God is saying. Because there are millions of people that believe this. And this is being taught in our schools. But this is what God says. God says, if you believe this, then God calls you a fool. Why? Because you are speaking folly or nonsense, and you are feeding on folly or, uh, or nonsense. You are believing folly or nonsense or foolishness. Why? Because God teaches us in the Bible that we are not mutations, we are not accidents. What God does teach in the Bible is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. You are not a muta- mutation. You are not just some haphazard uh, creation. No, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a plan for us. God has a purpose for us. God has a destiny for us. God did this before we were born and before the first day of creation. Evolution or man teaches that our ancestors are apes, but the Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. Did you hear what I just said? The Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. Apes are not made in the image of God. Whales are not made in the image of God. Trees are not made in the image of God. Worms are not made in the image of God. Lobsters are not made in the image of God. Potato bugs are not made in the image of God. Only people, only you and I and all people have been made into the image of God. You are here on purpose, with purpose, by God's design. And Darwinism or evolution teaches that this is all just by random selection and accident. Okay? If you believe, if you believe what man is teaching, you're a fool. It's folly. You're teaching nonsense and you're believing nonsense. But if you believe what God says, then you are wise. Okay? Now, I could have... Uh, let me show this other video it's, uh, it, to, to balance this out. Okay? Uh, that's on creationism. So let's go ahead and watch this video. Okay? It's on creationism. Just to kind of balance this out really quick. Let's see if this is the one that I said. The very first verse of the Bible states, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Of course, if that verse is not true, then neither is the rest of the Bible true. 
people then ask, well, how do you know that there's a creator? How do you know that God created the heavens and the earth? What is the ultimate proof of creation? Well, in one sense, scientifically, empirically, you can't prove or disprove that there's a creator. You can't prove or disprove the Bible because we're finite beings. We haven't always been there. We don't know everything. But if there really is a creator, we'd expect to see evidence of the creation, evidence that there's intelligence behind the universe, and we do. We find that evidence in living things. Even when we look at the basic building block of life, DNA, we see there that there's a code system and an information system, all evidence that there is a designer and intelligence behind life. And of course, if there is a great designer, a great creator behind the universe, the only way we would ultimately know who he is is if he revealed himself to us. Actually, the Bible tells us that he revealed himself to us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, who stepped into history to be the God-man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead, and offer a free gift of salvation. And he reveals himself to us in the Word of God, the written Word. The Bible is a very unique book. It claims to be the Word of God who knows everything, who's always been there, who has revealed himself to us through the written Word that he breathed into meant his spirit to ensure that we have an inerrant, infallible Word from our Creator. And you know, if the Bible really is God's Word, we'd expect to find evidence consistent with what we read in the Bible, and we do. The fact that the Bible tells us God made kinds of animals and plants after their kind is consistent with what we see in biology, that there are distinct groups or kinds, like the dog kind, that doesn't change into a different kind, even though you can have variation within a kind. The Bible tells us that we're all descendants of one man and one woman. Actually, the science of genetics confirms that there's only one human race. And the Bible tells us there's been a global flood. We see billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And that tells us that there really has been a global flood, although we can't ultimately scientifically prove it. But is there an ultimate proof of creation? Well, there is an ultimate proof in this sense that if there is no creator, no creator God, and if the Bible is not true, then nothing makes sense. We all agree on the laws of logic, that we can argue with each other, talk with each other, and that we can use logic to reason with each other. We all agree on the laws of nature, that there are laws that govern the universe that were the same yesterday and today and will be tomorrow, which is why we can experiment uh, with what we have around us and we can build our technology. But why do we have the laws of logic? Why do we have the laws of nature? If it was a random universe, if there's no creator God, no absolute authority, no infinite creator behind the universe, how do we know that those laws won't change tomorrow? How do we know that someone else's logic is not the same as ours? How do we know for sure that we can logically argue with each other? You see, the only thing that makes sense is if there is a creator God, as the Bible tells us. People who argue with each other, even to talk to each other, or accept the laws of nature so we can then experiment in this world, have to actually borrow from presuppositions. When you think about it, the ultimate proof of creation is the fact that this universe exists, is governed by laws that God established, laws that we all understand and recognize and we all agree upon. All right, very good. Okay. So, those are just two videos to What's kind of balance best? everything out. Okay. Now, I could have shown you a video tonight on why man teaches that abortion is not murder. And then I could have... Uh, I could have countered that with a video, another video that teaches that the Bible declares that abortion is murder. If you believe that abortion is not murder, then you are foolish. You are speaking and listening to folly or nonsense. If you believe that the Bible teaches us that, uh, that abortion is murder, 
and that it is speaking biblical truth, then God says, and that life begins at conception, then you are wise. I could have shown you a video on why a white man teaches that the LGBT community and same-sex marriage is acceptable and completely natural. And I could have shown you another video as to why the Bible teaches us that this is not acceptable by God. If you reject what God teaches and believe what man says, then you are foolish because you are speaking and listening to folly or nonsense. But if you believe what the Bible teaches, then you are wise because you are speaking and listening to biblical truth. If you believe human wisdom, then you are foolish or a fool. But if you believe God, then you are wise. Does everyone follow what I'm saying? Can you say amen? amen. Proverbs 14.3, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. A fool's mouth speaks with pride. The evolutionist that is speaking folly does so with pride. The abortionist and Planned Parenthood, Parenthood, they speak folly with pride. The LGBT community promotes their folly with pride. The sinner is proud of their sin. There used to be a day in our country's history when sin was shameful, when people were embarrassed, where people would do things in secret. But now... People are proud of their sin. They brag about their sin. They boast about their sin. But those who put their trust in the Lord and walk in His truth and follow the Word of God will be protected. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. The truth is this, that we are all somebody's fool. Let me say that again. We are all, all of us, somebody's fool. We are either a fool for the devil or we are a fool for God. The question for all of us is, whose fool are you. Whose fool are you? The second word that I wanted to look at is found in Galatians 3.1 is bewitched. Let me read it again. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. But we're going to look at that next week. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are very clear in your word. And you declare to our face, if we believe what the world teaches, if we speak folly and absorb or listen to folly, we are fools. But Lord Jesus, for those of us who by faith have put our trust in your word, you said that we are wise and that we are protected. You will protect us, Lord. If you're here tonight and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If I were to die tonight or if Jesus were to come, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven. If that's you here tonight, just lift up your hand. You are not a Christian. Those of you online, you are not a Christian and you want to surrender your life to the Lord. I'm going to say it again. All of us are somebody's fool. We're either a fool for the devil and believing his lies or we're a fool for God and we're believing his truth 
And if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus right now, I want you to pray this prayer of repentance with me. Say these words, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I recognize that I have been in rebellion against you and your truth. But tonight, I surrender my life willingly to you and declare that you are my Lord and my Savior and my God. I bow to you now from this day forward. Teach me from your word. And I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sin that you offer to all mankind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer, that means you are a Christian. You are a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. You're no longer on your way to hell. We would love to hear from you. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. And right now, we just want to say good night to all of you. Thank you so much for coming out and joining us. As always, the altar is open for any of you that need any kind of prayer ministry. You feel free to come on up, and we will pray with you here tonight. God bless all of you. We appreciate you being with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your people now, Lord, as we leave this place. Bless your congregation. Bless those that are online listening. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. God bless you, church. Amen.